0: this um, last time uh, Isaac took a wife. Abraham sent his uh, most senior servant back to the land of his family and he had strong instructions get my son Isaac a daughter from this family and he wanted a firm oath it was very important to him. One of the things that he did was well if you if the woman that you believe is the right one won't come, then you are free from an oath to do that. But uh, the question then comes up, well then do I take Isaac back to the land of your family, to your family to look more for a wife? And it was like, no, whatever you do, Isaac doesn't go back. And there's a strong emphasis on the promises of God and the fact that Isaac was going to be the, the son of the promise and that promise included being in a land, and a place, and separate from uh, Abraham's original family. So the servant went back. And by the way, Abraham made it clear that he expected success, that God was going to go before him. He said, God will send his angel so that you'll be successful. Well, the servant, when he gets there, he prays to God. He has this sign that he's looking for that the right woman would come out in the evening to draw water and that in drawing of the water he would ask for some and she would say, well let me water your camels also. And sure enough, before he's finished praying, here comes Rebecca. She is Nahor, Nahor's granddaughter. Nahor was Abraham's brother. And she indeed does what the man had prayed for. And so we see him exercising his faith that God would reveal the person And and sure enough, he does. And we go through the steps of visiting with the family, and they recognize it as an act of Jehovah and send her back. And so um, Isaac meets Rebecca on the servant's return trip, and um, she veils herself, but Isaac then takes her as a wife. And uh, Isaac was, that's a mistake on my part, can't add that day. Isaac was 37 when Sarah died, and we're going to find out today that Rebecca becomes his wife at age 40. But with that said, we need to read Genesis chapter 25, and it's 34 verses. And I will tell you up front, so you get a free pass on this there's a few names at the beginning of this. So they're there. <clears throat> if you ask me what's the right way of pronouncing them, I would have to tell you, I have absolutely no idea. I only know my way of pronouncing them. I don't know the right way of pronouncing them. So like me, you can invent your own way of pronouncing any of these names, and we're not going to think anything derogatory about you as a result. So I'm looking for a volunteer or volunteers. Alan says he's gonna get us started.
1: Abraham took another wife whose name was Ketra. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, Shahua, Jokshan fathered Sheba, and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Lesherim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Epa, Epter. Hanoach, Abda, and Eldah. All these were the children of Ketra. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, and the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham (coughs) was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in, settled at Birlanari. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebarath, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbeel, Mishbam, Mishha, Mishama, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Temah, Jeter, Napfish, and Kedamah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by the villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havla to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over them. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham's father Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian, of Pad- Padanaram, Aram, the sister of Leban, the Armenian, or Armin, to to <coughs> his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children (coughs) struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the other shall serve the younger. Sorry.
0: Stuck pages. We've been there. (laughs)
1: There it is. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold him his birth and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright.
0: Okay, so the first half of this chapter, we close up the story of Abraham and kind of finish out his family, and then we transfer to what's going to be happening with Isaac and his family, and there's some, the stage then is set for the great drama to come that will be going on. We'll have a few other things to do in chapter 26. But in verse 1 of chapter 25, we find out that. Abraham, after the death of Sarah, took another wife uh, named Keturah, and she bore to him a number of children. Um, We see Zimron, Jokshah, Medan, Midian, Ishbuk, um, and let me me look at it here, and Shua. And then Jokshan, Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan, and then Dedan, had children, Eserim, Ledushim, Lumim, Lumin, and uh, then we also see that Midian, Midian had sons, Epaph and Ephor and Hanak and Abedah and Eldah. All these were the sons of Keturah. So, so Abraham had a productive fatherhood after the time with, Shara, with Sarah and uh, descendants are coming and i spent some time trying to sort out the um, prominence of any of these people born to keturah through abraham and indeed there are a couple that are worth mentioning at least one in particular and that's midian Uh, midian and his descendants are going to come. There's nothing in the Scriptures I can say, oh, this absolutely ties together. But the Midianites are a big deal all through the Old Testament. They're a constant problem for the Israelites. There are times that uh, they uh, do things that are not um, kind to Israel. They oppress them there are times when God uses Israel to judge the Midianites at one point if we went through the whole Old Testament we would see that God sent the Israelites to wipe them out and it sounds like they did and yet they show up again later so we must have missed a few somewhere and continue to cause challenges and problems for the Israelites through the Old Testament um, one that I'm not sure the connection is strong is Dedan. Dedan has there's a there's a people, um, an area that it has his name associated with it, and that indeed um, may may be, but it was a minor player. Sheba, uh, when I when I started following that line down, there is the Queen of Sheba. You know that comes up in the New Testament. From what I could gather, I'm not sure that this Sheba connects with that people. And there, are, some of these other names are used over and over. Some of them it's very clear that they don't fit in with the people that are named later. So um, were these major players? Well, if Midian is the father of the Midianites, yes. Other than that, there's really not anybody in this list that was a, a big player. Now we ought to mention the fact that there's a little bit of a language thing goes on here. Um, When in verse 1, it says, Abraham took another wife. Uh, The word there sometimes is translated woman, but most often is translated wife. When we get down to the end of this passage, um, it says... um, In verse 6 I shouldn't say end of the passage but into this little bit about the family with Keturah it says but the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and so I'm I'm looking at that going so concubines that generally for our life our world has a little bit of a different meaning so I looked it up and concubines means concubine and sometimes, though, is used for a wife that isn't the wife. Can I say it that way? So Sarah was the wife of promise. She's, it's through him that the promises are going to be made. I have no doubt that Keturah was a wife. But you also have Hagar. Was Hagar really a wife? No, she was used as a surrogate in the customs of the time to provide... An heir that wasn't just a servant raised up. And I think it's pretty clear that what we see there in uh, verse 5 is this. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. If you want to say it this will way, if he had a will, it said, whatever I've got, it's Isaac's. But the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living, and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. That's the way an American Standard puts it. And so he clearly was generous with, to some extent at least, with these other children. And, but he also sent them away from Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise. It was important that he send them away because it wasn't going to be Isaac and a bunch of others in this land receiving the promise of God. It's going to be Isaac It's going to be all Isaacs. He's the child of the promise. God made that clear. And this is a way of moving those that might be conflicting with the situation elsewhere. Um, Let's look at Genesis chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. Now, this is not a parallel verse for what we're reading here. This is when Ishmael... And Hagar are sent away. And we may look at chapter 16 again, so you might want to keep your finger there. But let's read 16, 11, and 12. Who can read that for us?
2: And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, <laughs> he you are pregnant, and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen
0: okay sorry that's not the one I that's the one I wanted to read but it's not the one that I was looking towards as a matter of fact that's not the one I wanted to read Um, so when they sent them out um Okay, we're in chapter 21. Um, Well, maybe it was in the other one. Did it mention going to the east and settling in the east? Okay, that is the one I wanted. It's when Hagar took off. It's not when Abraham sent him out. It's when Hagar took off. God told Hagar, you're going to be settling in the east and we'll make a great nation of them. Sorry, I got myself confused with that. So it's similar, what happens with Abraham. Uh, it says that he sent the sons to the east. Um, and they're in verse 6 of Genesis 25. And so that tends to be where the Arab nations wind up, is to the east of Israel. And we'll, we'll see a little bit more about that here in just a minute. Um, in verse 7, any questions or comments so far other than... Listen to your own verses you select, rate. Uh Any other comments or whatever? Okay, so let's go on with verse 7. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. So Abraham lived 175 years. If I did my math right, that's 28 years after Sarah died. So he had another 28 years after that. And it says in the New American Standard, I like these words in verse 8, he died in a ripe old age. Now, Alan, what did yours say? Good, well, good, good old age. Old age yeah. Um, I that that intrigued me that they would that the New American Standard would use those kinds of words. That sounds very idiomatic for who we are, right? Uh, but um, some of the words that could have been used here. Um, For this word that is translated ripe would be good or pleasant or appropriate or fulfilling or words like that. So Abraham lived a full life. Um, Things were completed. He was satisfied. And then he was gathered to his people. So when Abraham died, you know, we read in Hebrews 11 how they died without the promises being fulfilled. Was Abraham the father of all these people yet? No, saw it in a distance, but yet even the earthly existence was the main wasn't the main thing. Abraham was looking forward to a country not his own, to uh, a building built not with human hands. He was looking toward toward the heavenly and so but he was satisfied with life. and we see in verse nine that uh, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him so. Ishmael apparently comes back and um, partners with Isaac to some extent, and, and they bury him. It's interesting that if we do the math of Abraham being 175 years old, at this time, how old is Isaac? Do you remember how old Abraham was when Isaac was born? He was 100, so how old would Isaac be? 75? And Ishmael was older, right? By my math, he was probably somewhere around 89 or 90 years old. So these weren't two 20-year-old men or 40-year-old men even burying their father. This is a 75-year-old and a 90-year-old, give or take, burying Abraham. And once again, they go back to the cave that Abraham bought in the field of Ephron, facing Mamre. And he had purchased it to bury Sarah, and they bury Abraham in the same place. Um, in verse 11, it says, It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahoi Roy. Now, once again, I'm making that work myself. Go to Genesis chapter 16. I want to look at verses 13 and 14. By the way, we were just in Genesis 16, weren't we? And so we're back to that. This is, once again, Hagar has run off. God is going to send her back, and has. And she rejoices a bit at the way God handles her. And this is part of the rejoicing. Let's read 13 and 14.
1: Then she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her. You are a God who sees, for she said... Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahairoi. Behold, it is between
0: Kadesh and Mered. And so this is the same well that Hagar found herself by as she ran off from Sarah and was rebelling in that way. And this is the well of the God who sees. Do I have that right? I think so. And So here here we are, this is down by Kadesh, so we're down in the Negev area, and that's where Isaac goes down and he lives. Anything you want to add or talk about along the way? So now we shift over, and I won't say close out, but we kind of wrap up where things are at with Ishmael. And it is kind of the closing out of it for Genesis, Um, he might be coming up again but I don't believe so but um, in verse 12 we start okay now here's what happened with Ishmael these are the records of the generations of Ishmael Abraham's son through Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's maid that was born to Abraham and here are the names of the sons of Ishmael and we've got 12 of them Nebaioth, Kedar, Adbeel. and Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Napish, and Kedema. And so we see that there in verses 14 and 15. And verse 16 talks about their being named here. It says, These are the sons of Israel. These are their names by their villages and their camps. Twelve princes according to their tribes. So these men influenced encampments and cities. They were the princes of the, land, of the Arab peoples and they would be the leaders as the Arab nations are being established. Now verse 17 is really interesting, or maybe I should say 18. Um, but says, these are the, lot, the years of the life of Ishmael. He lived 137 years. So he lived another 40 some years after Abraham died. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. That's the way they talk about being gathered to your uh, your people is their way to say died. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt. As one goes toward Assyria, he settled in defiance of all his relatives. So remember he was going to be what kind of a man? A donkey of a man. And he winds up east of Egypt as well. Uh, Assyria is basically a kingdom east of, of Israel, somewhat southern. So if you went from Egypt and you were headed to Syria, you would pass through that Negev area and beyond. And he's beyond a ways, and not in Syria, but on the way to Syria. And of course, his settlement wasn't easy, it was in defiance of all of his relatives. How did yours say it, Alan, when you read that? In verse 18?
1: They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen.
0: <laughs> so, uh, who's he get along with? Nobody. Nobody. Uh, at least nobody mentioned. I'm sure he got along with somebody, uh, or they probably would have ganged up on him and have been the end of him. But nonetheless, uh, he just was a difficult man to be around. Uh, he was just difficult for people. Uh, let's go over to Genesis chapter seventeen, uh, verses eighteen through twenty-one. Genesis seventeen, eighteen through twenty-one. Now, in this case, this is when God has come to Abraham. He's talking about. Um, he, he's implemented um, circumcision and he talks about your, your lineage is going to be through Sarah Ishmael has already been born this is Abraham's response verses 18 through 21 and God's response who can read that for us
2: and Abraham said to God oh that Ishmael might live before you God said no but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year.
0: So God rejects Ishmael in the sense that Abraham really was asking God let the plan that Sarah and I started with Hagar be the one you use to let Ishmael be the child of promise. And God says, no, no, it's my promise. I'll do it my way, and it's not Ishmael. But he said, but I hear you. In other words, I'm taking into account what you're asking for and responding to it at least somewhat favorably. He said, I'm going to make him a great nation and there will be 12 princes come out of this great nation that he will be the chief progenitor of and so uh, in verse 17 we saw Ishmael lived 137 years and um, they were um, that he did indeed have the twelve princes born to him as promised previously to Abraham which is an interesting thing that that's where the promise was. Which takes us to verse 19 And it said, "These are the the record of the generations of Isaac." So now we're switching to Isaac, who was Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Verse twenty: Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, for the uh, the Armenian, uh, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian uh, Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian, to be his wife. Armenia in this case is not a belief system as you might have heard in modern times but it's a country over in that arena and in verse 21 out of this marriage there's a challenge and the challenge isaac prayed for it in verse 21 on behalf of his wife because like his mother sarah she was barren and the lord answered him and Rebekah his wife conceived so it took prayer before they could begin to have offspring. So here's the child of the promise that's supposed to be the next generation that's on the way to all of this offspring and great numbers of people and they're struggling with childlessness. So she does become uh, pregnant in verse 21. In verse 22 it says, but the children struggled together within her. And so... We know, and it's going to be told to her, that they're twins, and apparently they're um, struggling together. She can sense within her womb that there's a battle going on between these two developing babies that aren't yet born. And, And so she said, if so, then why am I this way? What's going on? And she seemed to follow the pattern of Isaac she took the question to the Lord. And so she, she inquired of the Lord, and the Lord had an answer for her. And that answer is seen in what um, is said in verses, in verse 23. And so God tells her, There are two nations in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger." And so she's told there's a conflict already going on within you because the two children that are about to be born are going to be individual countries. They're not going to be a common country. They're going to be separate and the fact that he says the older shall serve the younger is an issue. What's the issue that that goes with that? It should be the opposite. It should be the opposite. What is the tradition of the firstborn male in <coughs> this time and it continues on through Judaism? biggest share. How so? That's the birthright. Firstborn gets a bigger share. Do you know how much bigger?
2: Twice. As big, I think it's twice as much. So,
0: as if there are 10 kids, you divide up it the estate into 11 portions and he gets two. So the firstborn gets double what the rest of the male heirs would get. But also with that goes the right to be the head of the family in, in a very patriarchal way. You make the decisions for everybody that's living under the roof of the house, so to speak, as much as, as, uh, as you can. And so he would be the ruler, normally the firstborn would be the ruler of the household, would receive the uh, birthright of being the firstborn, and also what goes with that, we're going to see much later, is a very significant traditional blessing from the Father. And so all these things should have been belonged to the firstborn, but God says, no, that's not how this is going to work. It's going to be reversed. So in verse 24, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, by the way, do you have any questions about that so far? Comments? Okay. Verse 24, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So they've been married a while. Because he was married at 40, right? So this is 20 years after their marriage. The challenge of being childless is taken care of through the prayer of Isaac. And when they were named, um, it's interesting to look at verse 25 and look at where the words come from. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment. And that word red means ruddy, would be another way to translate it. So red would work too, just fine. But he was a ruddy young man, all over like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. What does Esau mean? Hairy. So not like the modern name, (laughs) Harry, It's just a name. But he was, when you would, this name was hairy. It could even have been applied, they said, to a rough animal hair garment or even a rough animal hair carpet. So it's like he's, he's rough. He's, he's, a, he's a hairy young kid, which is a little unusual. And his hairiness was all over. It wasn't like some babies are born with tufts of hair on their head. This, this one was hairy everywhere. And they named him Esau. And then here comes Jacob out, his hand holding on to Esau's foot, heel and so they called him Jacob which means very simply heel holder or heel catcher. So they were very creative. How many hours get spent in name books for children born today? And their method was much more efficient. The first thing that comes to mind when I see him is going to be the name. And so we have Harry and heel holder. Can you imagine the tense moments in the house when one was or both were misbehaving. Um, you, Harry, and heel holder, get over here. Well, anyway. Um, and so, so this is what occurred. Verse 27. We begin one of the stories of drama in the Old Testament that comes out of Isaac's house. The stage is at least set. When the boys grew up, in verse 27, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, if you're like me, you can't help but start making some mental images. You know, I see Esau coming in with dirty feet, a bow, and some dead animals. That's just what I picture Esau doing. And uh, Jacob is cooking. And as a matter of fact, that's what we're going to see a little bit. But I mean, he's just, he's kind of a house boy. He likes being around the home, likes sitting under the air conditioner or whatever, however they kept cool. I don't know what they did, but he's, he's not, I'm not going out and getting dirty. And the last thing I want to do is kill a critter. Um, And so we get into verse 28 and we see some tension begin to develop. In verse 28, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. So why does, why does Isaac love Esau? Yeah, I like the backstrap off the venison and he brings them, you know, that kind of a thing. What's that? Good
3: eating.
0: Good eating. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So I don't know if it would be fair because this has connotations I don't think we ought to apply to it, but kind of a mama's boy, so to speak. And when Jacob, verse 29, we get to a specific account. When Jacob cooked stew on a particular day apparently, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. What's that mean? He was was hungry. He wanted something to eat. And Esau said to Jacob, Hey, let me have a swallow of that red stuff over there for I am famished. That's how the New American Standard translates it, red stuff. Uh, But clearly it's some sort of a stew or soup or something. Well, we get a better picture a little bit later. And uh, so he says, hey, you know, you've been cooking over that, you know, you, I did my part, I'm out hunting. You did part of cooking. Now feed me because I'm hungry. And the fact that he referred to it as red stuff altered his name a little bit therefore his name was called Edom so Esau's nickname if that's the right way of approaching this became Edom which means red and we see Edomites throughout the scriptures Herod the great was an Edomite and so that's the family of Esau that was ruling over Jerusalem at the beginning part of Christ's life (coughs) Now Jacob, clearly was more of a thinker than a hunter. Said first, before I give you some of this food, sell me your birthright. you think that was a fair price for a little little soup? <laughs> I mean, the birthright was not small. Particularly when you think the birthright from Isaac took on far more significance than any other birthright. In the world because it included being the child of the promise. It included the promise of God for being in the lineage of Abraham and the father of many nations. Now, Esau had a quick answer for that. I'm about to die, so what then use is a birthright to me? I'm dying here, so who what do I care about my birthright? If I'm dead, I can't use it. Uh, Jacob didn't take that as an adequate answer, did he? First, does he sound like a salesman here? You know, what would it take to get you in that car? Well, well, well no, no, well, what would it take to get, you You know, they just, good salesmen keep bringing me back to the sale, and I'm not criticizing that, that's good technique. And Jacob said, first swear to me. In other words, that swearing made it official, it's done, it's over, the birthright goes with the swearing. So he swore and sold his birthright to Jacob. There is a little problem with this. Who witnessed this? Nobody. 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 And when we get later on in the book of Genesis, we're going to see this, it, this selling of the birthright doesn't come back up. It's almost like a secret between Jacob and Esau. So once he got him to swear that he would give him the birthright <coughs> for the soup, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. So now we know what it was. It was a lentil stew. He ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Did he despise it? Why would we say thus he despised his birthright?
1: He gave it away cheap.
0: Gave it away cheap. Bowl of soup when I'm hungry one time. And so... He really didn't think much of his birthright at this point. As the drama goes on later in the book of um, Genesis, we're going to see that uh, he valued it a little bit more than what he might have indicated here. And he didn't go to, later on we'll find out, he didn't go to Isaac and say, no, no, wait a minute, I sold that to Jacob. No, it it came about in a very different way and I'm sure you're all familiar with the story. Um, I wanna go over To Hebrews, I'm sorry, to Romans chapter nine. Somewhere along the way, in talking about Jacob and Esau, uh, we need to get here. Paul makes it clear some things that are going on in Romans chapter nine. Some things are going on here that is very different than. We might think of it as a standalone issue. Um, and I want us to go down to um, Oh well, let's just start here in verse six. And what, what, just setting the stage a little bit, Paul through Romans, basically lets the whole human race know you're guilty before God. He also makes it clear the work of God in salvation and that salvation comes from God by grace Um, and that um, if we live with Christ, if we die with Christ, we live with Christ and we're new creatures And, and he points out very clearly that the Israelites were guilty and so too were the Gentiles and then we get to where he starts to talk about Israel's relationship to Christ and why there was tension uh, but that not all Israel was rejected and that's a little bit of what this is going on but part way through he talks about the sovereignty of God and we just really need to see this example that he uses that relates to our text today. So let's start with Romans 9, verse 6, and read down through, um, well, let's read through 18. <coughs> 6 through 18 out of Romans 9. Who can I call on for that? I've got
3: it. Okay. Romans 9, beginning in verse
0: I mean, six. Uh huh.
3: hmm. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. And not all children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But their wives shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh, who are the children of God. But the the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So this is what the promise said. About this time mm, This time next year I will return and Sarah shall have her son. And not only only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefathers, Isaac, though they had not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of the election might continue. But because of works but because of him who calls you was told. the older will serve the younger as it is written Jacob I love but Esau I hated what shall we say then? is there just in God's part by no means for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion for whom I have <coughs> compassion. So, it, so then, it depends not on, on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh for his very purpose, I have raised you up that I might sow my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth so then he has mercy on whom whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills
0: okay let's use that as the launch pad for a quick discussion here Um, God tells uh, Rachel what about these two children in her womb the right and we might look at the story the passage the account we read today and say well obviously he would choose jacob over esau would he not here's esau despised his birthright he sold it for a bowl of soup he actually bargained it away and god just went with it but that's not the case When God chose Jacob over Esau, we can see in um, verse 9, the coming of the promise, I'll come, Sarah will have a child. But there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, for though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, It didn't have to do with their behaviors, but because of him who calls, he said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And so God had his purposes. And it's interesting to read the Old Testament and then go look and remember this, because as we read the Old Testament, We're going to see that Esau is a scoundrel and Jacob's really a pretty great guy, right? Well, not really. In the passage we read, Jacob was shrewd. And he remained shrewd throughout his life. And he was even allowed in his shrewd thinking, and his mother was just like him, Later on we'll see they trick Isaac to get the birthright for Jacob even though Jacob should have been able to walk in and say wait a minute I already purchased that. But he, they used deception rather than truth there. And so Jacob had to take off and run. So Jacob's not a perfect guy um, and by any means. So it's not based on their behaviors. It's not based on their works but because of the purpose of God who called. Now you can say, well, that's unfair. You know, God chose one or the other. They didn't get a chance. Esau was rejected before he was born. How can that be right? And Paul anticipates the question, what shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? And he answers, it may never be. And he goes back and reminds the people of what he said to Moses. And I'm going to reword it just slightly well let me say what it says first this is the quote I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We need to remember when we look at these kinds of things the fullness of the attributes of God. God is just. God is love. God is compassionate. God can also be wrathful. Uh, He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. I mean you can keep going But the picture of God that we have in our minds is infinitely important to our understanding of Scripture. If we begin to think, well, God is capricious, God is just arbitrary, that denies so much of his attributes. So when the all-loving, all-knowing God, a a man, sorry, a God that loved us so much that he would crush his son on the cross... In punishment for our sins, so that we too might be in His presence. This is not a God lacking in love or mercy or compassion, but it is His mercy and His love and His compassion. And I could reword this about a little bit, coming out of verse 15, and say, it, God saying, "It's my mercy. I'll decide who I uh, lay it on." And it's my compassion. I'll decide who I have compassion on. Verse 16 is important. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Many have willed to be saved. One came to Christ and said, "It's clear you're a teacher. What do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus perceiving that he was full of love for his possession said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He hit upon the idol of this man's heart and we don't know what happened. It certainly seems as though the man went away sad and unwilling to do that, but he at least went away sad. He was, it was a problem for him to think about parting with his riches. And so when we, we look at this God has mercy on whom he's going to have mercy. Every one of us, maybe I should say it the other way, not one of us would come to God apart from being born again through his work in our hearts. We can't will salvation for ourselves and accomplish it. Apart from the mercy of God, apart from the will of God, we, none of us will be saved. And he talks about Pharaoh being raised up so that he might be able to show his power god show his power and god's name be proclaimed throughout the whole earth and so when we look back and see that god chose jacob over esau god had a purpose in that god's purposes will always be fulfilled can we look at the ways that both Esau and Jacob behaved and what their motives and intentions of their hearts were and maybe try to make a case on what we think God was thinking. We can do that, but it is pointless and not the reason God did it. He makes it clear here in Romans, it is not based on the behaviors that would be a part of these men's lives. God does his purpose and his purposes are always fully met. And you and I should rejoice in that because the scriptures tell us, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. That's part of God's purpose and his purposes will be met. I actually messed that up. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So Jesus himself said, I'm not, I will turn no man aside that fought that seeks to follow me so um, the invitation is there and i i certainly have just showed you that god does some choosing in salvation so i don't want to take away from that but uh, we can be encouraged that um, our salvation is secure with this great loving god showing mercy upon us as we put our faith and hope in jesus christ but I, I didn't feel like we should walk away from this passage in Genesis without looking at the clarification that Paul brings about in Romans. Now, starting that whole conversation in Romans 9 would be deserving of a lot of time and discussion if we wanted to get into the sovereignty of God in salvation and life and so on. And that's really not the topic we want to pick out today today we're going to go back to Genesis next time but questions or comments about what we just talked about is anybody going what are you trying to say um, we just need to realize God did some choosing here that's my point point. and he chose Esau I so chose Jacob and rejected Esau though Esau was the firstborn Esau was not going to be the child that would continue in the lineage of the promise well, let me close up with a word of prayer. And next time, we'll we'll move on to the next chapter. Lord, um, we know only a little about who you are. We've not met you face to face. We've not had the privilege of walking with Jesus here on this earth. At the same time, Lord, we have your word, and through your word, you've revealed to us so much about who you are, your love for mankind that you love the world so much that you sent your son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Lord, we trust your love. We trust your power. We trust your ability to preserve us and keep us for the promises that you've given to us just like you kept your promises to Abraham. And Lord, we long for the day when faith can be sight. At the same time, Lord, bolster our faith. Let us see that Uh, You are a trustworthy God, and when you make decisions and choices, they are great. Decisions and choices that will bless, those are the called ones according to your name as we read in Romans chapter 8. Thank you for your great love and your provision for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.